Welcome to the family with L.A. Nick, co-host Catherine Brandt, and Andy Brandt-Bernard. We'll be right back. Bob Williams will join us, Ranch Hands Rescue. Bob Williams, founder and CEO of Ranch Hands Rescue, a counseling center and animal sanctuary. Catherine, you're going to love this guy. I love him. You're going to love him. We'll be right back with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. On the first part of the dirty. <laughs> yep. Easy what listening. Do you think of that? Easy listening music today. And he's got it plugged into easy listening. Yeah. It's true. It's called Mellow 70s Gold, so you're not wrong. Mellow 70s Gold, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Tell me when Mr. Williams is ready to go and we'll launch into it. We're all good. We are good to go. Bob Williams, ladies and gentlemen, Ranch Hands Rescue. Bob, I have to tell you, you'll be mostly talking to my lovely wife, Catherine, because <laughs> you're already her hero. Well, what an I like ranches. Thank you I love so ranches, much. love rescuing. So, uh, Bob Williams is founder and CEO of Ranch Hands Rescue, a counseling center and animal sanctuary. For much of his career, Williams was a high-level representative for Motorola. Retired in 2007 after suffering a stroke, his idea for the animal sanctuary came about a year after a year of physical and mental rehabilitation. On his road to recovery, he became inspired to help animals that were also in need of different kinds of therapy. Catherine, take over. Okay, so the, <laughs> the therapy was. part is for the animals or for animals with people? Well, I was, it's, for, it's for people. So basically okay. what happened was I... You know, and I don't say this to sound pretentious, but my closest friend for 25 years was Doris Roberts, who was best known for the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond. And Love uh, Doris and I talked just about every day, you know. And uh, she actually saved my life. I, I was with her when I had my stroke. I, I wanted to go back to her house oh, wow. and lay down. And she took, we called her doctor, and I got into the hospital and got that stroke medicine. But anyways, through my recovery, uh, I started saving animals. 
just as something to do, you know what I mean, after I retired. And, um, and, I, and I noticed that they were having this effect on me. I'd go to the diet. See, I wanted to establish a sanctuary for special needs animals. You know, I, I didn't want the healthy ones because the special needs animals are the ones that usually are the first ones to be euthanized. And right. so, um, so what happened was I, I would go to the heart doctor, I'd go to the neurosurgeon, and they'd say, you know, what's happening with you? You're, you're like a different person. And the only thing I could attribute it to was saving these special needs animals. And back in the day, in 2008, we got our public charity status in 2009, um, what happened was I was working with law enforcement, and I only wanted to take animals that had been seized for abuse and neglect. And I call them the forgotten ones. So right. <clears throat> Doris said to me, have you ever thought about starting a public charity and you could really save a lot of animals? And I said, well, I want to do that, but I want to establish a sanctuary for special needs animals, but I also want to figure out how to help people. And so in 2010, our counseling program was born, and, and that's a, another great story of how we got there. But basically the best way to think about us is that in any segment of the population, there is uh, you know, organizations like the advocacy centers and veterans organizations and, you know, counselors can help the majority of people. My question was, what happens to the people that you can't help? Where do they go? And so it's, this program was designed for the 1% to 8% of individuals that need a different or more, more alternative proactive approach to mental health. We happen to specialize in kids that have been sexually abused or sex trafficked, and uh, we partner the animals with them in mental health therapy. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, a, it's uh, an incredible program. So many people fall through the cracks with mental health anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And even transitioning back into the world after they've maybe conquered drug addiction or something like that, and there's you know, very little help for people. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, in my case, you know, I, I always tell everybody, Catherine, I'm one of the lucky ones. So I am a survivor of rape. I was raped as a teenager. Couldn't process it. Uh, I'm an addict. I've been, I was homeless by the time I was 20 active in my addiction in my 20s. Mm. I got clean and sober for the first time at 26 and uh, relapsed at 27, got clean and sober at 28, and I've been clean and sober ever since. And uh, I always tell everybody that there's no question that, you know, my angels and God were with me because I really don't know how I survived, you know, all those years. And it was really by a miracle that I got hired by Motorola as a sales guy in those days and uh, was promoted through the ranks over the years and got back in school and turned my life around. But I've had a lot of treatment and I've had a lot of counseling. And I was diagnosed with PTSD and high anxiety in 1997. And so it, it just seemed to me that, you know, part of my service work for us addicts that are being clean now is to help others. And at this point in my life, I wanted to try to help as many people as I could because I designed this program for people like me, people that didn't see any hope. And the whole, the whole idea behind it is we've got to be able to get to the root of the trauma in order to teach individuals how to reprocess it so that they can reprocess it in a healthy way and give them the tools that they need 
that they can have a full and productive life. You're making way too much sense. <laughs> there you go. I don't know why. <laughs> this thing sounds like the, this should be the model for getting people mentally healthy, right? Well, yeah, well, I think so. I mean, we'd certainly like to kind of package this. You know, we're a public charity and we rely on donations and grants and share this with the world because I think we could save a lot of animals with special needs and we could help thousands of people, you know, kids and people. And, uh, one of the challenges is that, you know, every, there's so much to this. When the cases come to us, we have 28 partner agencies that we work with here in the Metroplex. And uh, the, the challenge is that if somebody's regressing, especially kids in their current program, then when we test them, by the time they get to us, and our, by the way, our, our requirement for free services is that they must have been in the program previously and they're not getting better. So they've gone through 12 months or 15 months of counseling. By the time they get to us, what happens is when we test them, we start seeing all kinds of additional issues. So, for example, severe depression, severe anger, self-mutilation, eating disorders that are starting to develop. So they're testing very high on the end of the spectrum, and that's why they don't see any hope, you know. And uh, testing is important to us because we really need to understand how, you know, how we're doing. But what we do know is, is that some individuals will tell an animal something before they'll tell an adult in a traditional office environment. And so that's when it's done with licensed professional counselors that, that I say are seasoned, you know, that have worked with child abuse cases and sex trafficking cases and veterans with PTSD and so on and so forth. They know exactly what to look for based on how the individual reacts with the animal. And uh, and I think one of the key things is that, that individuals really basically forget they're in counseling. And they, mm. want, they want to nurture this animal. And so it's that bond that's developed. Well, also, they probably lost uh, trust in humans. Absolutely. And a dog's not going to tell anybody their secrets, right? Yep, that's exactly right. And it's funny. Is it, is it always dogs? Nope. It's it's at, we take all farm animals and dogs and cats, but we only take animals in critical condition, and we only take the ones that would ordinarily be euthanized or seized from law enforcement. So, you know, we get broken jaws, broken legs. On the animal side, oh. we've actually done some pretty fascinating things. We put the first horse in the world in a prosthetic leg without amputation. Uh, that wow, was back really? in 2011. Yeah, we did the first ever open heart surgery in a sheep in the world, and we did uh, <laughs> the, the first ever stem cell transplant in a horse to heal a tendon uh, with nanofiber technology. And so we've done a lot of these first evers. You know, I'm just the type of a guy. You know, people told me my whole life, uh, especially after my, you know, being an addict with drug drugs and alcohol. You know, I'd never get clean. I'd never amount to anything. You know, I wouldn't be successful. I have no doubt that what happened to me then was God's way of preparing me for the work that I've done the last 11 years. And uh, uh, having said that, I think that, you know, God puts you exactly where he needs you. And so uh, I'm just one of those people that, you know, I continue to ask questions and say, you know, there must be. If they could do it for humans, you know, for people, why can't they do it for an animal? 
And so now, you know, you're seeing businesses that have popped up all over the country where they're putting animals in prosthetics. And, you know, we have a dog with three prosthetics. And so, uh, you know, it's it's all pretty amazing what's what's been done the last 10 years. I had a Jack Russell. We had a Jack Russell for 18 years that had one eye because he got kicked by a horse because, of course, he's a Jack Russell and they're prone to uh, being naughty. Yeah. And wouldn't stop right. bothering this horse. So, and he he was absolutely fine, though. I mean, he didn't have he had no idea that he had a disability. No, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. I, I have a, whatsoever. I have, I have a blind horse. that's completely blind, and she doesn't know she's blind. She's she wasn't always blind either. She's only been blind for a couple of years, and you could watch her all day, and you'll you won't be able to pick out which one's blind. Isn't that amazing? And we have a blind uh, sheep, and uh, we have her with one of our horses that has special needs. And uh, they're the two of them together. I mean, you know, he's her eyes, and I don't think she realizes she's blind. Kind of similar to what you're saying. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It really is. Well, I watch her every day, and I'm like, God, I, I, I can. It's it's amazing to watch her because she's a beautiful horse, Arabian. And she's she was not blind. She drank out of a dirt a puddle that had deer urine in it. And the bacteria from the deer urine made her go blind. Yeah. And she's completely oh, wow. blind. She can't even see light at all. She's seen blackness. But she... See, it, here's what I love about that story. See, they get to just be an animal. You know, it's okay that yeah. they're different. It's the same thing with people that need help. You know what I mean? We get a lot of these veterans in, and, you know, typically the homeless veteran or the veteran that just can't keep a job or a relationship, they've got... Uh, you know, severe PTSD or anxiety, but you'd be amazed at the types of childhood trauma that they've had, all right? And a lot of them right now, the, the ones in ours, over 50% of them were sexually abused as kids and it was never reported. So you got that trauma and then, of course, you go off to battle and, you know, you've got PTSD on top of that. But in terms of the animals, I'm always amazed at how people say, well, you know what, they're just not worth it anymore. And so they want to euthanize them. And I just believe they should just get to live out their life and, and be a dog or a horse or whatever the case is and be loved unconditionally and, uh, you know, just be an animal. I love that. I think that's great. It, it, is, it is frustrating sometimes. Like, I, I grain her because she's the only Arabian I have, and they tend to use need more food, more nutrition because they get thin. And I grain her every morning and night, and she'll be an inch from that bowl, and she won't be able to find it. So I, I hold the bowl now up near near my chest, and she eats out of it. And, uh, yeah, she's she's great. And there, she was she was at a, a horse vet across the street, and she was going to be put down. And she's very young. She's, she's only a 12-year-old horse. So uh, I and she's so beautiful. I'm like, don't put that horse down. I'll take her, and she's been an amazing horse. Oh, my, I love that story. That, that's love, brother. You're you're her angel, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, there's a lot of people that that I think feel the same way we all do, and those of us in rescue, um, and that you know love animals. It's like you know you have a Jack Russell Terrier that lives for eight years. I mean, eighteen years. That's a that's a wonderful life. You know, and you know that that animal was loved. But we get calls daily from people that say, <clears throat> you know, I got a 24-year-old horse. I just don't want him anymore. You know, he's old. He's costing me a lot of money. I mean, it just, it, it, it's just, it's really sad what happens. And then if you look at a lot of these people, that they rescue a dog, and then six months later, they don't want the dog anymore. So 
Um, I don't know if I could really be. I, I won't. I don't have much in common with people that don't have a love for animals and for helping others. You know what I mean? I do understand that. Now, Bob, two things. First of all, now I'm stuck with L.A. Nick thinking he's an angel. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I actually feel like I'm I am her angel. <laughs> Yeah, so here we you go. Are her angel. I am because she was going to be put down. She was she was on her I deathbed. Know. I know. Oh, you're right. <laughs> the other thing, Bob, I got to tell you, Doris Roberts, her portrayal, the way she treated her daughter-in-law, was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. In God, my I love that show. Laughed so hard. She was phenomenal. She really oh, was. Raymond, I'm sorry. You have to eat her cooking. <laughs> Tell you, she was one of a kind, and uh, one of the my, you know, she we vacationed together. She'd come to Dallas and and stay with us, and I'd go out there and stay with her. And uh, we actually met at an event I was speaking at in L.A. And um, she said, "I'd like to have lunch with you." And I, I never thought she'd call me for lunch, but she did, and we became, you know, great friends. But she had a passion for animals, and you know, you should have seen her with Midnight, our little horse. Uh, with the prosthetic leg, and she just loved to come and visit the animals. And of course, she raised you know millions of dollars for us. But uh, and she also you know started the program Puppies Behind Bars in New York, you know, which was to help white collar criminals teach service dogs so that they could have a career when they got out of uh, prison. Mm. And yeah, she did mm. a lot of wonderful work. But hey, do you mind if we talk about? Uh, uh, sex trafficking of boys for just a second. Um, would you, how much time do you have left? Do you have do you have another five ten minutes, Bob? I do. If you do, okay. Uh, do you mind if we take a two minute break? We'll come back and we'll talk about exactly that with Bob Williams right after this with the family. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Nabla. <laughs> Chuck Nabla. <laughs> 2020 never looked so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. 
LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. Oh, you do have the dance music on today, Annie. Honest to God, he's got it cooking. We're talking to Bob Williams, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, ranchhandrescue.org. That's ranchhandrescue.org is Bob's uh, website. And now we're going to move on to another subject, which uh, how old were you when you were attacked, Bob? 17. You were 17 years old. Did you know the person? No, I was sound asleep, oh, woke okay. up at 4 o'clock in the morning with a knife to my throat, uh, he, and he beat me to a pulp as well, and spent a week in the hospital. My oh dad my was God. retired military, and when he picked me up from the uh-huh. hospital, he said, you know, you're just going to man up, and we're never going to talk about this again. And uh-huh. uh, I couldn't process it, you know. Yeah, it was a different time, you know. It was, as a matter, right. matter of fact, right. I when, I made him, when I made amends with my dad, he had tears in his eyes because, you know, I hated him for a lot of years because I couldn't understand why he couldn't help me. And by the time he tried right. to figure out how to, how to help me, I was too deep in my addiction, you know. But uh, he said, I love you so much, I didn't, I didn't know how to help you. And uh, yeah. in those days, there wasn't programs for boys. You know, you sweep it under, under the rug. And here was a man who was married to my mom for 55 years, and when he died, uh, we found his medals. He was uh, awarded the Bronze Star. And a, and a bunch of other medals, and she never knew that he ever received the medal. So that world really? War generation, they were a different group. Yeah, he never talked yep. about yes. it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. But what happened was uh, a couple of years ago, they were forming a coalition here in Texas to um, address the the issues of human trafficking, and they were bringing people in to, you know, kind of sit and advise, and and they asked me if I'd like to participate in. You know, I didn't know why they wanted me to participate because, you know, we had uh, sex trafficking victims in our program, the youngest of which at the time was six years old. And uh, it's hard to wrap your head around that, but it's, uh, yeah. it's an absolute fact. As a matter of fact, that was a big case here in Texas, and he got 48 consecutive years uh, on his sentence. But, but at any rate, I would sit there and li- I thought this is a good opportunity to learn something. You know, they had a bunch of different organizations in there in Homeland Security and FBI and, you know, law enforcement people, and they were talking about the issue. And and uh, and I I just one day said, can I ask a question? And one of our local judges said, absolutely, go ahead. And I said, is there a problem with boys? You know, you hear all the talk about girls and, and women, and I get it. It's very serious. There's not enough beds. We need to stop it. But, you know, what about the boys? And she said, it's the single biggest country problem in the country today, and nobody's talking about it. So, and she said, I think you're the perfect person to start to investigate it. So I started uh, gathering data from, you know, missing the, the Center for Missing and Exploited Kids and a bunch of organizations, and I was really shocked that at the lack of data around boys, and that's why we call them the forgotten ones. And, and what happened was about 11 months ago, Governor Abbott's office called me from here in Texas and said, we're putting together, the governor realizes that, that there is a problem with uh, boys being human trafficked in Texas, and he wants to stop it. So would you like to serve on the task force? And I said, absolutely. And that's when my eyes were really opened, that this is happening every day, everywhere, in every community. And the average age that boys are targeted on the Internet is 13 years old. So human trafficking today looks very different than what most people think about with, uh, you know, the 
movie taken and, and, and other things. It's, it happens mm-hmm. in various ways, but it's a very serious problem. And there's estimates that up to 50% of human trafficking victims could be boys and young men. And what we base that off of is you're starting now to see stings across the country. You know, back then, they, nobody was really targeting predators who were buy, trying to buy boys. And uh, that's changing now as you look at the sting comparisons. That So now there's law enforcement, you know, officials acting like a 13- or a 14-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, and and doing these these things where people are trying to buy them and meet up, meet up with them for sex. And so we've got to stop the demand, number one. But here's the real issue. There's not one safe house in the country, Tom, uh, that is for young men uh, 18 to 24 to go to. Really? Not one. Yeah, and so there, and there's no beds. There's a complete lack of beds. And so you've got, you've got these issues with these young men that, and many of them are coming out of the foster care system. You know, they prey on vulnerable kids. And sure. they're having survival sex and other issues. And, uh, and so, you know, and predators pick them up and they use them and abuse them. And then a trafficker picks them up. And, you know, they can sell them seven or eight times a day. They drug them up and, uh, you know, pretty much own them. So it's, it's actual human slavery. And at the end of the day, we've got to, to, the public has to be educated on this issue. And we've got to get this safe house open so that we can save more of our young people, that we can help them, you know. No, I understand that completely. I, why? Why it, do you think, as a nation, we're just put burying our heads in the sand about this? I think that um, the you know there just was a lot of myths. It's pretty amazing when I speak around the country and when I go into law enforcement agencies, they want to help. I don't think anybody really realized what was happening with boys and young men. You know, uh, because the myth is boys can get away. A lot of people don't understand trauma bonding and, you know, different issues. And quite frankly, law enforcement, you know, they've got their hands full. There's so many issues, you know, that they're dealing with uh, daily. So I think that as they become aware of it, well, I know because I work with them every day, there are, they want to put a focus on this and they want to help as many of these kids as they can. It's just that we have to create awareness. You know, um, Mike Pompeo issued in the last State Department report that boys and young men being human traffic is a problem in the country. So that was a huge step in, you know, the administration acknowledging, you know, we've got a problem. But from where I sit, you know, not only do we have to open the safe house, which we're, we're starting to do a capital campaign for now, because my organization is completely debt-free. And, you know, as bad as it's needed, because I could probably have, you know, 10 young men from around the country tomorrow uh, that could, you know, we could provide a safe environment for and get, hopefully get them on a path to healing. You know, we don't want to take on a half a million dollar debt, you know, especially with what's happening today. Uh, you know, we've got to be able to raise the money and fund this thing separately. But uh, if you look at the stings, you know, they're running about 38 38 to 42 percent are predators looking for boys and young men on the internet. It's pretty scary. 
That's very high. Is there any understanding yeah. of why a grown man would be attracted to a little boy or a little girl? I, You and I can't even understand how that happens. Is there any understanding of how that does happen? Not to my knowledge. I mean, there's a lot of people. You know, there are people in counseling who think that these people can be rehabilitated. I don't happen to believe that. With the no, things that we see every day, yeah. I mean, our, our counselors are like trauma surgeons. You know, they're seeing severe case after severe case. And when you, I, I, you know, children cannot make their own decisions. And so there's a sickness and an evil uh, with these people that I don't think ever is going to go away. And it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult, complex situation. But I don't subscribe that they can be rehabilitated. Yeah, I mean, it was thought many, many years ago that that people who do things like that, those things happen to them as a child, but now they found out that's not necessarily true. Correct. Um, it's called what they call learned behavior, you know, and so they, if an eight-year-old was sexually abused for years, that, that that may, you know, that they may want to abuse a child. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different on the subject. I mean, you know, I'm not a counselor, although I, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, try to learn as much as I can every day about this, and I rely on my clinical team. My my, uh, clinical director is a retired colonel, specialist in PTSD and trauma, Lieutenant, I mean, Colonel Ben Dickerson, and uh, he's an amazing guy. And so our team is is very strong, and as I said, the testing component is really important. But these cases are so severe that we have to you know, I kind of say throw the kitchen sink at it. We don't just do animal therapy. We do EMDR and CPT and sand therapy and play therapy and faith-based therapy. And we, we kind of take everything and take the best, um, you know, teachings of each modality and apply it to these cases because they're so complex. I mean, we have probably a dozen kids right now in our program that are cutting, you know, kids that are cutting their forehead, their face, their arms, mm-hmm. their hands. And so... You know, these are kids that are in deep trouble, right? There are real psychological issues with the damage that has been done to them. And uh, and that's a real cry for help. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, I always trust that law enforcement is going to do its job. And I think these men and women are amazing at what they do. And, uh, you know, and I don't know how they do it because we see they see the worst side of it. And you have a, you, there's a whole newfound respect for our first offenders, not just law enforcement and the detectives and the you know FBI people involved, but the the nurses that you know in the hospitals, the doctors uh. that have to treat them, and the people that work at the children's advocacy center, you know, doing the forensics and you know those sorts of things. We get to watch them get better, and so that's our reward. As difficult as it is, we get to watch them get better. And when you can see a child in 15 or 16 months, learn that it is possible to trust again. You know, the trauma is never going to go away. They're, they're, it's, it's never going to be forgotten. But as I said, we can give them the tools that they need to, you know, have a full and, and happy and productive life. And our clients can go back to us anytime uh, for a refresher or if they get, you know, certain triggers and they want to come back in and talk about it. Um, they can always come back in and see us. 
Uh, in order to talk to Bob Williams about Ranch Hand Rescue, it's ranchhandrescue.org. That's ranchhandrescue.org. How do people reach out and learn more about uh, the traffic of little boys? Uh, is there a, a special website to go to? Yeah, it's all the information is on our website. And, of course, we post a lot on our Facebook page, um, which is Ranch Hands Rescue. And um, I think we've got maybe 25,000 followers or 21,000 followers, something like that. And so that's building. And, of course, we update everybody on the animals and what's happening in, in human trafficking of boys and where we're at with the safe house and, you know, that sort of thing. And we just ask people to get involved with us and to get involved in their local communities to help save our kids. You know, our kids are not for sale. And so um, it's important that everybody, you know, stays vigilant, as I like to say, and helping to stop this epidemic, regardless of whether it's a little boy or a little girl or a young man or a young woman. You know, it's all um. tragic. We just need to bring awareness to the, to the boys and the young men. That makes total sense. Bob Williams, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot about a lot of different things today. And, you know, I think you might be right. Maybe God picked you out to serve the people, man. Well, thank you so much. This is a big honor for me, Tom. And, Catherine, thanks so much for your kindness. And um, I wish you guys all the, the best, and I'll keep in my prayers. Well, please stay in touch, too. We'd love to talk more. All right, Bob? All right, my friend. All righty. Appreciate thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bob Williams, ladies and gentlemen, ranchhandrescue.org. See, now, there's a guy, has a stroke. Does he sit around at home and go, oh, poor me? No, he goes out and helps animals. He helps people. He helps victims. That's I love that about that guy. Isn't that great? You know, amazing. It's, it, it, I, I, don't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be that close to it. But Oh, I know. I, I would lose I all, hope, all hope in humanity. I just couldn't do it. I would... I would turn into the person, the vigilante that wanted to murder all the <laughs> jackasses all. that are yeah. doing this to the yeah. kids. I'd be like, I gotta find them, I gotta kill. Them. I don't know what happened, but I killed them all. <laughs> with a big th- uh, three fifty one gun and Boom. going out and shooting people. Done. Saturday night Done. special. Yeah. I don't know that I'd give her any ideas, thank you. But <laughs> I just seriously, I can't stand it. Was, I know. Was, I cannot I stand it. What was that movie that this with? Is, uh, Oh. The first one, uh, uh, the, uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah, the Charles Bronson. One. What was the name of that movie? Uh, oh, oh yeah. What um, the hell was the name of that? Well, I think it was Vigilante, wasn't it? No, it wasn't no. Vigilante. Uh, it was Death Wish. Oh, what the hell was it? Got? Was it Death, Death Wish? Wish? Yeah, it was Death Wish. I think it was Death Wish. Yep. Catherine could do Death Wish three. <laughs> Death Wish three. You're the one dying, pal. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Another segment coming up next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Was your New Year's resolution to work out at the gym to lose weight? Now it's almost March and you haven't shed a pound. 
Well, do what I did. Let the coaches at Ultimate Weight Loss help you lose weight fast. With the help of Ultimate Weight Loss, I lost 41 pounds, another 42 pounds in each of my first two 40-day programs, and I didn't have to exercise. Summer will be here before you know it. So start now, look great, and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with the help of my friends at Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss, powered by Nutramost. Due to the tremendous success of their clients, they are now opening a Woodbury location. That's on March 2nd. They will then have three locations to serve you in Plymouth, Edina, and Woodbury. Starting today, live your healthiest life. Schedule an immediate consultation. Call Ultimate Weight Loss, powered by Nutramost, 763-333-7337, 763-333-7337, or go to their website, ultimatewl.com. That's ultimatewl.com. Time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. Oh, just kidding. What's happening? I'm depressed now. Yeah, well, you shouldn't I'm be ha- depressed because be there's happy. somebody helping people. I know. Just to, to know that it's that there's that much bad things going on. Yep. Ah. People praying, praying on defenseless people. Isn't that what you, defenseless animals, defenseless people. Let's pray on them. That's great. So it's a, such an ugly world. It, it can be, no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> I see that the city of Minneapolis has learned nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why would it? That, that's an understatement. Being stupid works for them. You know, <clears throat> they're redoing Hennepin Avenue downtown Minneapolis. Why? Now, some people in Minneapolis know, uh, apparently they know what to do. The $23 million reconstruction of Hennepin Avenue in downtown Minneapolis will bring with it protected bike lanes, wider sidewalks, Ugh. better street lights <laughs> when it's finished in 2022. One thing it won't have is any public seating along the stretch from 12th Street to Washington Avenue. They don't want people sleeping on Hennepin Avenue. Yeah. That's clearly well, what this is all it's about. It's also loitering. They don't want people loitering. Yeah, right, exactly. Because it's that's part loitering. of the problem is that people sit down there all day long and they're dealing drugs mm-hmm. and then they start fighting with each other. Well, it's not, okay, it's not illegal. The, you right. ready You ready for the big line of the entire story? Okay, I should introduce this woman first. People use benches to rest their tired legs, tie their shoes, readjust shopping bags, take off layers and more. You don't mention sleeping and uh, thuggery and all the rest of it. Says Julia Curran, a member of the city's pedestrian advisory committee. What the hell is that? Oh, they have a all kinds of them. A multi-million dollar. Yeah. yeah. They have all kinds of them. One of Minneapolis's many committees. And, and you can't yes. get on any of them either. No? Why well, no. can't get on the pedestrian advisory committee? You can't get on any committee. You got to be a legacy? Why not? They, they handpick certain people. You have to have a certain like. outlook. Mm. They wouldn't let Uncle Tom on there. They had one committee they were taking, but they were taking names for, like trying to get people on this committee. Mm-hmm. You, a million people could apply. They'd never let any of them on the committee. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay, you ready for the big line of the story? Yes. And I got to tell you something. If I were one of these people, I would get so sick and tired of you using me to get your point across. I'm telling you, I talked to many, many people in this situation. They are sick to death of it. Here's the big line from Ms. Kern. You ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. The concern is about poor people of color. Oh, my God. 
Of course. What do you mean? Not just poor people. It's just not just poor people, but they have color. to be poor people of color. Oh, of course it is. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what a joke you are. Seriously, if I were a, a black person, a brown person, whatever, if I were a person of color, I would call them and say, would you stop using me as your figurehead? A lot of them Stop are. using my skin. You know, Absolutely. You know what else they're talking about doing down there right now? They're going to make businesses not have their restrooms public. Not have they're going to make them public? go public? Yep. Wait, they're going to make oh, them go public or un-go public? No, they're going to make them go public. Oh, so you have to let the public... You can't do that. They're, the city's doing it. That's a great idea. They're pushing you it now. You can't do that. It's, <laughs> it's their business. You can't just have people walking in, peeing in your... Once again, I'm uh, paying for my rent or my, my right, building. Right. I'm paying my property taxes, and yet you're going to tell me that somebody else can pop on in here anytime they want and use my facilities. Well, there is no How public is restrooms in the whole entire city downtown in Minneapolis. Zero. There aren't? No. Where's your public well, restroom? put them in. Show me one. <laughs> well, why don't they have them? They because don't exist. Of crime. So, because of crime, people that's be why shoot, they don't people have. be getting raped in them and shooting up in yep, them yep. and pat living yep. in them and well, everything else. Well, you think I want them. that in my restaurant or my place of business? Well, it's <laughs> it's, no, but the problem the do. problem is people are now urinating on the door of the rest of your business. They urinated on my door almost every day. That's well, uh. why I moved. Um, why don't they put those things like they have in Paris where they've got those... Oh, we're not that it, sophisticated. It's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a kiosk. Yeah, they have I think you do have to put a quarter in or something like that. And, they, and as soon as somebody gets done with it, it, sort, it sanitizes it. It once some again, sort of spray or something. Once again, it would be people would be shooting up in it, being raped in it, being killed in it. People don't realize how bad it is in downtown Minneapolis. You don't oh, understand. It's horrible. Especially yeah. the mayor and the governor. They don't seem to get it at oh, all. Oh, the mayor doesn't get it at all. He's Well he no. gets it. He just yeah, he care. no, he actually he does get it. He's using it. There's a thing now. It's called success through failure. And, oh, and you God. succeed by destroying mm-hmm places like Minneapolis, he will get a Senate seat or something on the National Democratic yeah. platform for his ways in Minneapolis. He will. He will, will actually he get it away, done. Then? Will he have to go away then? <laughs> yeah, but he'll, he'll do more harm to this whole state. Well, and another, another one will just take his place. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know? I suppose that's true. They're just a bunch yeah. of bots at yeah, this point. Yeah, they are. Oh. Here's the whole paragraph. You ready for the whole paragraph? And once again, if I were a person of color, I would call and say, would you stop using me to get your point across? I'm really tired of being used because I'm a person of color. JB, The concern is about... Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Yeah, JB, you sleep on bus benches all the time. What the hell? Uh, The concern is about poor people of color, Curran said. There's a sense of being in public as being a bad thing if you're not within a certain demographic. What are you talking about? Projected racism. It's projected racism. That's exactly what that is, Andy. It's a very, very good point. It's actively hostile toward people of color. To even reinstall basic pedestrian infrastructure that was previously in place is all we're talking. They didn't put it back because it created a problem. Mm -hmm. We don't need problems. You know, I'm sorry, this is not a massive babysitting service. Take care of the mentally ill, take care of the drug addicts, and the rest of you get off your ass and get a job. How about that? See, I think there's a right? bit, I think there's something bigger going on that we don't know about. 
What would that be? What, like, like all, like redoing. They, they, they spent what fifty million, whatever it was, redoing Nicolette Mall. Did it fix anything? Zero. No. It's just as bad no. now. As it, it, it may be even worse. It's more desolate. People don't walk the mall like they used to after the redo. It's not the same. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you eat at one of those tables outdoor in the mall? Because I wouldn't. You can't anymore. You literally can't. Oh, they took them all out. Well, a lot of lot of, they built walls. Oh God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what a world. So, well, this Saturday night, somebody got shot and killed inside a bar restaurant in Minneapolis. At Rouge, right? Yeah, at the lounge. And, and, and it's a shame because yeah. Brian, Brian Bells is one of the nicest guys in the world. And he's, he is, he's yep. the, one I of agree. the longest running bars in the city of Minneapolis. 19 years. Um, God. But, yeah, that's, that's what Minneapolis is now. It's just, it's just what it is. It's, it's what it's become. It is. So, but, you know, it's all across the United States, too. It's everywhere now. It's just disgusting. It's in a lot of major cities. It is. No doubt about it. I, I just don't understand why it is that just because you're homeless, you're a victim. Again, if you've got a drug problem or if you've got mental illness, I understand you need help. No doubt about it. The rest of you... Y- y- you don't need anybody's help. You just don't want to do a damn thing. You just want to sit around your ass and do nothing. We're getting a little tired of it, aren't you? Yeah, it's, well, it's, I think the homeless problem is multifaceted. Yeah, it is. I actually and saw. I caught. I caught a little bit of a, of a documentary on when was about when all the mental health facilities clo- got closed down, mm-hmm. and the numbers actually of prisons. Went up at the was going up at the same time, and it's the same. Mm-hmm. It actually came out to the exact number of people that left mental health well, facilities going to prisons. <laughs> and, I mean, mentally oh ill God. people do commit crimes at a greater rate. I mean, it's yeah, not necessarily do. their well, fault, but yet they still do it. But we, we can't allow do something it. about it. Yeah. Yep. It's a very yep, complex problem. It's a very complex problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the only the only way to solve it is you're going to have to take away somebody's uh, perceived rights. Yep. You're going to have to yeah. say, you know what, you are just too ill to be on the streets. Yeah. We're Somebody, going to have to take you away yeah. and, if and it's help legal, you somehow. If we have no problem arresting and imprisoning people, then why would sending someone involuntarily to a mental hospital be that much worse of a thing? Well, mental hospitals cost a lot more money than prisons, mm. and because you have to pay a doctor. Yeah. Um, the the the. Well, but people act like you know you can't have involuntary psych holds. That's illegal. You can't take people away from their homes, but you can arrest people for doing something bad. Well, but you can't bring someone to a mental right. hospital for having something wrong with them, even though it's basically the same idea. Well, you get you can get a seventy-two hour hold. That's about all you're going to get. And only if you say something like, I'm going to harm myself right. or two, others. Or two family right. members. If, right. two, if, if yeah. Catherine and you, Andy, called about Tom, you could get oh, him Baker. Oh, so I get to be the <laughs> mentally ill one. You could get him now Baker you tell us. You could get him Baker active for 72 hours. Mm. But if two family members. If you're schizophrenic, though, 72 hours, it's what's not, that going to do? Nothing. Yeah. Not gonna do nothing. Andy, Andy, give me a call tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> We're going to institutionalize Tommy, boy. Thanks every, for every Friday I get to put you away yeah, for a call, week. Call every Friday and have oh Baker act. It's like some peace. You're mean to me. You're very mean to me. I'd like to point that out. Yeah, the Baker Act's been gentlemen. around for a long time. It's two family members. If they have concerns that you're going to hurt yourself or someone else, they can have you yeah. put away for 72 hours. But it's only 72 hours. hours. Yep. 
Uh, Catherine in L.A., Nick and Andy already heard this, but Catherine in L.A., Ralph Basham pointed out yesterday on this show there are several medical and healthcare businesses in the state of Minnesota that make over a trillion dollars a year. Ain't that a crime? Wow. That is a trillion crime. dollars a, a year. Crime. It's a crime. How do you live with yourself? I, know. I don't know. There's a lot of loopholes in the state of Minnesota. Oh, God. It's just, it's so disgusting. It really People is. People are suffering and you're making billions of dollars. Yep. Off their suffering. You disgusting pig. It's, it's a crazy world. It is a crazy world. There's no getting around it. I don't know. I just, uh, like I said, I, I, what I'm going to do the rest of my day is walk around like all these you know, newspapers and TV stations do and try to figure out how I can use people of color to make money. That's what I'm going to do the Hey, everybody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, apparently everybody else is doing it. Seriously, if I were black or brown or whatever, I would be so pissed off about reading that I couldn't even tell you. Oh, we have to protect people who can't. You're basically saying people of color can't protect themselves. That's what you're saying. Well, what is the what is the um, percentage of minority people that are so illiterate and and unemployed and so pathetic that we need to take care of all you know them yeah, I know. and their every thought, their every need. It's ridiculous. In the minority, you know what I'm saying. I mean, how many? Black people need this crap. It's a pretty a small question. percentage. Exactly. So it it's not. It, it's it's a stupid way of dealing with it. I don't know what to tell you. It's just it's very very frustrating. That's all I know. Because if this is not about helping people, this is about using people more it, it, than it, it, anything listen, else. It's all about it's it's all about one thing. It's all about profit. Yeah, that's period. what it's all just about. Period. You're absolutely it's about right. profit. Yep, you're right. God, it's so sad that you it, just can't do your job. Even even the redo on. of Hennepin is about somebody making money. Well, it's sure not it's about true. that Hennepin yeah. needed to be redone. It's somebody needed to wanted to make five million dollars because that's probably what the profit <sighs> is on it. Well, there's a all all the way all across the United States of America, all of these great plans to. Um, Reduce cars and reduce this and reduce that. There, it, it's all an ar- everything is an architectural problem, you know. Everything, <laughs> yeah. of course. Pollution, homelessness, everything's an architectural problem. So, <laughs> that there's going to be a lot of tax money spent on building stuff. And, and if they don't use the money, they don't get it the next time. So they right. they, they use right. every That's penny. True. That is true. All right, well, I'm going to go cry into my pillow. Me too, man. This is a depressing day. day. I was happy. I was happy when I got here. (laughs) Me too. Well, I think anytime you're going to talk about some topics like, uh, you know, sex slavery and all that kind of stuff, sex trafficking, that's what makes this this show interesting to listen to. You never know what you're going to get. It's not going to make you feel happy, though. Well, that's the other thing. People are such <laughs> cowards that they're afraid to address the the, uh, the issue head on. So if you say things like "stop using people of color" to get your your message across, it's not their job to be used. Then you're a bad person. Yeah, it, it, that. that all depends where you're at, too. Like if you said that in certain states, it's fine, but you couldn't say it in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, God, no, Minneapolis. Oh, we know what Just like we're you doing. Can't even no, talk we're, about, we're saying it in Minneapolis. You yeah, can't even talk about the rape issue in Minneapolis, which are, is one of the highest cities that the rape rate's going up. No, no feminists are mad about this. No, no women's God. groups Not are marching about this. No, Not one. No, no. Can't no. take it. All right, I'm going to go cover my head with a pillow. and <laughs> See you guys. Cry. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.